This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 56, looking at Agent Carter, Season 2, Episode 9, A Little Song and Dance. Welcome back, Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are putting on the Ritz for a little song and dance. This episode, episode 9 of Agent Carter. I am one of your singing and dancing hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. I wish I could sing and dance like Enver and uh, and uh, Hayley Atwell do in this episode. And Wilkes and Jarvis and everyone else. The whole gang, yeah. Great little musical number. Um, certainly. Absolutely. We probably would have introed our podcast with a song if we could, uh, but not, not for us. Not for us. Welcome back, listeners. Good to have you back on board for Agent Carter. Yeah. Jazz hands and all. Uh, we're here. And of course, um, you can find our jazz hands and listen to our, uh, mutterings about, uh, Agent Carter as well as Daredevil, um, on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. And you can find us on any other good podcast catchers, such as Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, Player FM, or Stitcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. And now you know where you can find to listen to us. You can also interact with us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, or you can go to Facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast join our group there and you can uh, interact with the community on agent carter and indeed the marvel netflix daredevil which is showing right now Yes, as you may have guessed, we are alternating episodes at the moment. We've got uh, the last two Agent Carters to go, so we're releasing an episode of Agent Carter and an episode of Daredevil every week uh, until we're finished up with Agent Carter, and then we'll continue on our coverage of uh, Daredevil, which I think we're up to episode three now, with episode four coming out this week. Uh, so uh, loads of stuff going on over on our feed on Defenders TV podcast over on iTunes and any good and evil podcast catcher, as I, as John has said. Yeah, uh, Welcome back to the world of Agent Carter in the 40s. Uh, and a sincere apology, I made a huge mistake in our last episode uh, where I said we were returning to the 50s from Daredevil. Uh, was pointed out to me pretty quickly over on uh, over on Twitter, so my sincere apologies. I know it's the 40s. We've been talking about uh, Agent Carter for quite a long time now. A whole year, almost, with, uh, with uh, two seasons airing, so uh, I'm fully aware that it's 1947. Total slip of the tongue. I don't know what, what happened to me last week, but uh, probably all the podcasting that we've been doing for Daredevil and for Agent Carter got a little bit confused, so apologies about that, but thanks for pointing that out. Always good to hear uh, a correction uh, from from our listeners. Absolutely. But I think with that, shall we get on with our five-point discussion of Agent Carter, Episode 9, A Little Song and Dance. Of course, we uh, cover our five main points from each episode episode good bad and the ugly so derek what are some of the production notes for this episode as you can probably tell this is quite a big production uh, this episode was directed by jennifer getzinger uh, her first episode of agent carter i believe she also directs the finale as well of this season um, she's well known for her direction over on mad men she did 10 episodes of that show and a bunch of other tv shows uh, but where the big elements came in is all the writing that's involved in this particular episode there is a big writer's room for agent carter uh, for this episode chris dingus did the uh, teleplay for the episode uh, the main structure and the main uh, overarching elements of the show and our showrunners michelle fazakis and tara butters did the actual episode wrote the story and uh, and put it all together so john do you want to tell us what all of them together gave us in this sure. episode 
Stranded in the desert, Sousa and Sambly are forced to trust Jack Thompson to get themselves back to the SSR alive and prevent Vernon's thugs from sending them to an early shallow grave. Also in the desert and still unconscious, Peggy Carter grapples with what she's going to do as her mind wanders between her musical thoughts on Dr. Jason Wilkes and Chief Daniel Sousa. However, as she revives in the back of one of Robert Manfredi's trucks, her and Jarvis escape, and Peggy is resolved to save Dr. Wilkes from Whitney Frost's new laboratory and her scheme to extract the zero matter from Wilkes' body. Back at the SSR, and against her better judgement, Peggy must form an unlikely partnership with Vernon Masters, as Thompson has convinced Masters and Peggy to work together using the Gamma Cannon against Frost in order to restore order and save Wilkes. However, Jack Thompson wants more and makes a surprising move that could destroy them all, just as Wilkes begins to fracture as he loses control of the zero matter contained within him. Loses control or gains control, that'll be interesting to find out. Exactly, who knows what has happened there. Fade to black, so to speak. Absolutely, or explode to black. Explode to black indeed, (laughs) Uh, As John mentioned, the way we cover our episodes is we do talk about our top five points, uh, taking them in order, so we hopefully cover off all of the points within the episode. John, do you want to kick us off with your first point? I do, and it incorporates two points, actually. It really does. Um, It is the dance number. Of course. Um, It might not be to everyone's taste, but for me... I actually really, really enjoyed it. it was this fab. actually had an element of nostalgia for me. It kind of took me back to those special episodes of Buffy um, or Angel. It really felt like it had a Joss Whedon stamp all over this by having this um, sort of out from left field um, number, something different, something quirky. Um, to explain essentially Peggy's inner monologue of, of um, her her thoughts that switch between Daniel Souza and um, Dr. Jason Wilkes, and of course everyone else involved with her life. And I think you know seeing Dottie and Whitney Frost, as well as Anna Jarvis, you know all really good. I loved, um, and this is kind of my second point, or you know point one B, whatever okay. we want to call it. It's <laughs> just to see. Um, Angie return. I mean, she really seemed to take the lead to be um, Peggy's sounding board, which in many respects she's not had. She used to go in in season one into that cafe. She used to speak with um, with Angie. Angie had a little pet phrase for her English. You know, they kind of got on together and sounded off one another. You know, Angie, what's she going to do with her career? You know. How does she get out of just being the diner waitress? Mm-hmm. Um, Peggy, in terms of she was able to relate to Angie and to be able to talk to her frankly about stuff, except obviously the SSR gig that she had. So I really like the return of Angie as, um, it just felt like here's Peggy's kind of best friend back. And that was really, uh, really good. But for me, it was just again, moving from the contrast as well from that black and white opening, which is kind of what maybe, you think of this 1940s period piece, you you expect to see that kind of look from the TV films of that time, even though there was some colour obviously coming in at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see Michael back again, giving her some form of, of advice um, and really trying to perk her up uh, while she's at this low ebb, having been knocked unconscious, um, you know, at the end of the last episode. And so this was just a really nice way of doing it. Um, And I particularly love the uh, flamingo pink for Jarvis, (laughs) uh, surrounded by all the 
the the the bird feathers, and of course the the three ladies other than Peggy that are currently dominating um, his existence, which is obviously Anna Jarvis, but also then with Dottie and with Whitney Frost there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really, just a good different opening. It's one of those things where you go. Well, I wasn't expecting that, but I can appreciate that maybe it's not going to be for everyone's taste and it might be a bit divisive. But for my sort of five cent worth, I, I it really took me back to a Joss Whedon thing and that put a big, broad grin on my face, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're all, they're all pretty talented as well at their dancing. This was also my first point. Uh, did really enjoy the dance number, I must say. Uh, it is definitely Whedon-esque, um, one of the elements of Joss Whedon is always that he likes using songs to tell a story. Uh, he's done uh, Buffy, as you mentioned, but also did Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which is a really good fun um, film where he where everything is surrounded by music, uh, but it is quite serious in some points, and he's able to get it across through music. It's something that we're, we're kind of missing a lot. I'm not a huge fan of musicals, to be honest, but uh, a lot of that is because I'm not a big fan of the songs that are chosen. In this case, the song that was written fits perfectly uh, within the world of Agent Carter and the fact that we have the reappearance of of, uh, of Angie. It's, it's, we did have a discussion on our Facebook group during the week this week uh, about the fact that one of the things that has been missing for Agent Carter this season is having a woman on her side um, who has been with her. We kind of expected that Rose might uh, form that part of Angie throughout this season, but she really hasn't. She hasn't had a huge amount of interaction with Agent Carter alone uh, like we would have had with Angie last season. And also Anna, um, even she's not really been able to fulfill that role. She she did briefly in a couple of episodes for a, a short time within mm. those episodes, but obviously her now having been shot uh, and being laid up in hospital, it, it really hasn't been able to to have that same role. And yeah. in fact, with with, with Anna, really has actually been a cause of tension between Edwin and, and uh Peggy, not herself, but because of the motives that have driven Edwin uh, to uh, attacking and shooting uh, Whitney Frost and essentially causing their current predicament that we see in the mm-hmm. opening of this episode, which is them captured and locked in the back of one of Manfredi's trucks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So she's really, as you say, not had that, definitely. Yeah, it feels like something that's been lacking a little bit in season two, while I have really enjoyed it, and um, that relationship between Peggy and the girls uh, last season has been missing this season. There's been a lot of, uh, I suppose, pressure put on the relationship between her and Jarvis and the relationship between her and Daniel and Wilkes, um, which is a change up considerably from season one. Uh, So it was lovely to see Angie back. I think we had a lot of speculation when we were talking through season one that Angie was going to be heavily involved in this season yeah yeah because we were moving to Hollywood uh Angie had expressed that she was going to be an actress and so you would have expected that we would have seen her somewhere within Hollywood it's it's unfortunate that all we see is this cameo from Lindsay Fonseca um she is a great actress and really good fun in the role Uh, so it is sad that we only get to see her in this episode but a really enjoyable episode it's good that she is in this episode and she has made it although it's quite brief into season two because yeah i mean that's true we did think as you say that we would be seeing her um, as quite a central role forging out a career in hollywood maybe being on the same set as whitney frost maybe you can Mm -hmm. see her doing that earlier on in season two and so on so yeah really um Really uh, good to see her back. Absolutely. And one final point about the actual song and dance number. I also love that it's Rose that gets to uh, do the final wake-up call to uh, to Peggy. 
with a punch to the face saying you're not right for the for the Arabic uh, talent agency, uh, which I thought was really good fun that everybody gets involved, regardless of whether they're singing or dancing, uh, including Rose. So really good. Uh, John, do you want to take us away from the song and dance number into your next point? Yeah, um, I really um, enjoyed Peggy and Jarvis's sort of tete-a-tete um, mm. in, in, in the desert after they had escaped the truck. I thought it was uh, really quite meaningful. And, and particularly, I really liked um, Peggy's response to him after, you know, he kind of has said that, you know, yet everyone around you dies. Um, and, you know, she's accused him of being a murderer. And mm. there's a real tension here because he's upset her plans and they've, he's landed them in this difficult situation. Peggy's response to him, I think, is really telling, uh, where she says, you know, you think this is a lark. It's a, an enjoyable way to spend the evenings. Uh, but you're blissful in your self-imposed ignorance and, um, you know, go back to another man's house, uh, to your wife, listening to the radio shows. And, and when there is a consequence, a tragic consequence, because there is, and um, then you blame me for the choices that you've made because you think these are adventures. You think this is almost like um, a famous five adventure where you go off. But this is espionage. This is dangerous work. And the reason why people die around me is because it's a dangerous world and it's a dangerous profession that yeah. I'm working in. And it really kind of, I, I just loved it because it did bring it back to the seriousness of what Peggy Carter does. And sometimes that can be lost within um, some of the lighthearted moments of, of the season. However much I love the lighthearted moments, I love the comic relief of Jarvis. It is in a world that is inherently dangerous, tragic, and has dreadful consequences if you mess up. And this was a really great way and, and a quite poignant, really, because, I mean, it, it, it almost comes to the point where the moment we escape this desert, Peggy goes, she goes, we can escape each other. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a real serious thing. This is the heroic couple that work together. Um in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we have uh, Peggy essentially saying that when they get back to L.A., you go your way and I'll go my way. Because what you're saying here is just not fair. It's not on. You can't blame me for what's happened to your wife yeah. when you want to take part in these adventures, in inverted commas. And I thought it was, um, you know, really, really good. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a harsh truth. It, it, it's cruel to be kind, you know, where she goes, and yet you can still go home and not understand loss because actually Anya is still alive. Yeah. You, you've not experienced that um, recently like I have, whether it be... A hundred times over, yeah. yeah. So um, really good. And I mean, it actually then means that Jarvis has to be frank to her where he basically says... She can't have babies. That's what's motivated him. He's had to come clean about his motivation to kill Whitney Frost. And that, you know, it's because he's a coward because he's not able to tell her about it. And hopefully that moment in this episode where Anna is really kind of mindful that he's keeping something from her and the camera comes back beyond the other side of the glass and pans away. I'm hoping and I'm absolutely certain that in that private moment, uh, which I love the way the camera does that and the mm-hmm. way it's directed to um, to be that very private moment. You don't have to hear him say it. You just have to see that he's 
having to tell her a difficult thing. Absolutely. And that he has found that courage on the basis of this kind of frank heart-to-heart with Peggy out in the desert. Really, really good scene. Um, and and it, it really helps with the episode, this episode, but also the previous episode with what's happened and what they've gone through together. So yeah. for me... That's one of my um, top moments yeah. of this episode. Absolutely, yeah. It does call out something that we mentioned on our last episode, that Jarvis is now a murderer. He has specifically gone out to kill Whitney Frost. He pulled the trigger, shot her twice, gunned her down, you know. Uh, quite a serious thing for, to happen for the comic relief that he was earlier on in the series, you know. Um, and Peggy is calling that out. She's saying to him, you ran headlong into it. Um, I was telling you to stop. You didn't listen to me. You're the one that got us into this situation, not me. I'm, I'm no way involved. I did everything I could to protect you here from this. And you're the one that has caused us to be in this situation. Um, she's not accepting it from him. And it's a fantastically put together scene. The, the emotional core of it when, as you say, Jarvis mentions that, uh, he can no longer have children now, uh, because of this situation. Um, the emotional moment between the two of them is so telling. Uh, it's so well put together and Haley Atwell delivers a beautiful performance just with her eyes, uh, as her heart breaks for Jarvis and Anna. Um, beautiful moment, really well put together. Yeah. But I mean, just the whole evolution of Jarvis and um, this season, it, it has been really good. And I think actually as well with Peggy Carter seeing her well up because of what Jarvis has told her, but also because of the fact that, you know, she was about to put an end to their, um, team up, their mm. relationship, that the, the emotion of that, and that was really good as well, yeah. I thought. Yeah, definitely. So Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is the duality or tripality. I think I've created a word there for, uh, <laughs> for Jack, Jack Thompson. Um, how could we trust Jack Thompson throughout this episode? Every single time he speaks to someone, he tells them he's going to do something different and just to trust him. Um, and it's a really interesting side of Jack Thompson. I love that he's so comple- complex as a character. He's not evil. He's not the bad guy. He just keeps doing things for himself over and over throughout this episode. And um, we see the opening moments when he's in the desert and the members of the SSR come mm-hmm. to pick up Sousa Samberly and, and Thompson. And he takes the lead on that. Uh, gives Sousa a good punch in the stomach, um, even though it was unwarranted, um, just to prove that he's on the side of Vernon Masters. Then he goes back to Vernon Masters and tells him that um, they're all going to team up together and take down Whitney Frost. Uh, then he tells Whitney Frost the whole plan and says that he's going to take her side and look for a seat at the council. Uh, and then finally, at the, at the end, he creates a bomb to take out Whitney Frost and Ver- Vernon Masters. So loads of duality or triple quadruple um, (laughs) twists and turns within the character of Jack Thompson in this episode. And I'm still unsure um, whether he, even though the bomb may take out Whitney Frost, would he still want to be leader of the council? Uh, Whitney Frost didn't set up the council. The council has been in existence before her. Will it also be in existence afterwards? And will he take his place at the head of that council uh, with or without Whitney? It's interesting that we've got that from Jack Thompson in this episode. Yeah, I mean, this was one of my points uh, as well. I think I had it under Etu, Jack Thompson. Uh, <laughs> you didn't quite know whether he was going to be an actual Brutus uh, in this episode or or whether he was still sort of on side and just doing it to help uh, this unlikely alliance that was forming. And for that reason, it was just really 
great tension throughout this episode to to wonder what is he doing um and where will he land when he's finished doing all these underhand backhand um aspects to this plan um you know he punches Suzer in the stomach, as you're saying, you, you see that there's, yes, he, he says later on, I, I had to sell it to them, but mm. he also enjoyed it. And I mean, you see the surprise from, from Daniel Souza as he's punched in the gut. That I thought was really, um, like interesting. Yeah. We just have this whole sort of subversiveness from him, which I think is really, really good. It's like he's, to an extent, been manipulated for the whole of the season, whether it's been by Vernon Masters or, you know, like from season one, he really was a stumbler. He kind of did his job, and it's not that he wasn't good at his job, but he wasn't strategic. He didn't make those big plays or those big action moments, or he didn't see nuances that that really Peggy would have done or maybe even Sousa may have been suspicious over. Mm. And I think here, this is kind of one of the main moments where he is taking the initiative on himself in this episode where he is making his own play to to get rid of Whitney Frost and Vernon Masters. I love Vernon Masters' explanation about, you know, the council would say that this is a stalemate. Mm-hmm. And the only way out of a stalemate is together. You know, this bigger picture that, you know, um my enemy's enemy is my friend. And this was just very good. But he also, you know, along with Sousa, um, has to persuade Peggy to work with Vernon Masters. You know, Peggy is also very much doubtful over how Vernon Masters, it, it, where his loyalty is going to change after they have gotten rid of Whitney Frost. Um, and yet they don't expect Jack Thompson. He's using that underestimation of him to, to go and do these different things, yeah. which they wouldn't normally expect. And this is a very different feel for Jack Thompson. Um, and of course, we see the right at the end where he pulls the gun on Sambly to say, you know, stop blocking the, the radio signal so that I can blow this up. You know, you see sort of a bit of the anxiousness when it doesn't work out his plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, it's a bit of that Western standoff. Sambly having the gun pointed at him and then Thompson having the gun, uh, pointed at him by, by Peggy. Yeah. It was really good. It's and it's good because it's out of character, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't expect that from him to be so manipulative. And he says throughout this, and Vernon Masters makes the comment, I didn't think you had it in you, Jack. You know, he, he shows ruthlessness, he shows um double dealing, he, he shows secrecy, and um, all for a, a big gameplay that actually allows this stalemate to not happen, to get rid of the two people that he doesn't, and really then proving that he is on the side of Peggy and Sousa like he kind of said um, in the last episode Mm. uh, maybe we can finally believe him now yeah it kind of feels like he's still doing it for himself it's like as if he has his own plan that he doesn't tell anybody else about and he wants to lead it uh, and he wants to be the only one in charge of it so uh, while he is on the side of good and right and on the side of the SSR he does look like he wants to take the collar again. He wants to be the one that wins the the game here. Almost, uh, he's made the full plan. He's the one that's that's uh, decided what what's going to happen to every single one of the players, including Jason Wilkes, uh, who's going to be just another casualty in this battle. Uh, that he's set up the, I suppose, set the dominoes up to fall. You know, um, he's made these decisions and isn't letting anybody else in on it, including Peggy and Susie. You know, um, so quite, yeah, quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting 
set of circumstances for our Jack Thompson in this episode. So I'm interested to see what happens with him next episode as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is back to Roberto Manfredi and uh, and Whitney Frost. Whitney Frost is definitely the leader between this couple in this in the most powerful couple, I suppose, in the in Agent Carter. Uh, but Manfredi is starting to crack himself uh, quite a bit here. There's a couple of moments where where Whitney's giving him orders. Uh, and he's kind of straining under the pressure to follow those orders. Uh, there is that brutal moment where he murders one of his own men. Again, if he keeps going through henchmen like this, he's not going to have very many of them <laughs> left, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but he shoots one of them for the fact that Peggy and uh, and Jarvis got away, um, kind of to teach a lesson to Wilkes, but also to punish him, punish his man and keep his other men in line. But that great moment when Thompson comes in and talks to Whitney Frost and he starts to lose it with Thompson where uh, Thompson is paying compliments to Whitney Frost um, and he kind of says, do you know what I do to men like you, people like you in my presence? Uh, and you can tell that Whitney's trying to calm him down, but it looks like he's not going to be calm. So he takes himself out of the situation and walks away, uh, kicking his man in front of him as he goes. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see how many of his henchmen are going to actually still be with him uh, when it gets to the final battle. Uh, uh, in next week's episode because he is pretty brutal uh, with the men around him and uh, yeah it, I don't know whether keep, Whitney's keeping him under her control as well as she thinks he is, she is you know yeah he uh, could be a, a loose gamma cannon uh, yes. definitely yeah um, I mean I love just how Jack Thompson winds up Manfredi here mm. um, it, it's a real case of um, you know the pretty boy comes in and steals his thunder as you see Whitney Frost being a bit seduced by um, Jack Thompson and we hear Vernon saying well you do have a silver tongue don't you as mm -hmm. he comes back alive from that that meat um, with, with Whitney but I do like the way Jack Thompson quite arrogantly um, knows that he can wind up Manfredi in relation to like the the, the looks uh, and really make him feel um, slightly inferior um, from a physical point of view. That's really interesting sort of dynamic to see as well. Absolutely, as Whitney says, oh, he's just jealous about Manfredi, and uh, and Thompson says, well, he should be. <laughs> you know, it's uh, very confident, very arrogant. But the other good thing about uh, about Manfredi here is that he has provided Whitney Frost with her secret lair as well. He's given her the former um, former uh, dump, I guess. But no, it's a waste management plant, uh, which, yeah. which he gives her as her secret lair, which I like. Uh, so, so now not only is she a supervillain, but now she has a secret lair to hide out in. Not very secret since uh, Thompson's able to drive there straight away. But uh, but she does have her own lair, which is quite cool. Absolutely. For a while, anyway. Uh, we'll see how that goes uh, yeah, next week. It may have been whipped from her uh, very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, John, do you want to take us on to the next point? Yeah, well, mine is the big sort of the Wilkes cracks up, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, quite literally. Um, you know, He's there at the waste management site um, being uh, sort of well, operated on, really. And Whitney is there trying to extract all the zero matter from him for herself. Um, and he, all the way through this episode, we've heard him say, I can't go near any centers of population. Don't take me back to LA. Um, you know, I don't feel well. It almost feels like he's got an upset stomach, um, in the back of the car. It's gurgling away. His eyes are still black. They go back to normal, but he is not a happy camper. No. Um, he really is suffering. He's obviously uh, absorbed a huge amount of, of zero matter and he's there and they can't extract it from him. He is saying he's containing it and he's trying to keep it in. And yeah. then as he's released by 
by Peggy as she saves him. Um, he locks her out. Um, and all of a sudden, this fantastic effect where he starts to fracture around the arms and the face, um, just like uh, Whitney has on on down the side of her face. But his starts to become more and more extensive. I mean, ultimately, to the point where it looks like he just um, fishes open completely and explodes open with, with all the zero matter. And I mean, for me, it's there... Uh, fantastic ending where the the black zero matter the space goo as daniel souza says um you know cuts it to to black and, and the credits really good and you're there going well who has or hasn't survived you know has vernon masters survived that mm. more than likely not has whitney frost presumably she's able to cope with it can vernon masters cope with zero matter and is Wilkes essentially ripped to shreds and, and dead? I mean, yeah. what is it that's just happened? It looks just like he has exploded um, like a grape that's <laughs> been crushed or something. A really, um, really excellent um, sort of cliffhanger to finish this episode on. I really, really liked it. And again, just as I say, the effect of him sort of fissuring around the arms and the face, much more extensive than Whitney Frost. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, presumably because the amount of zero matter that he absorbed when he was in the fissure uh, in the desert. So really good. Yeah, I took it that he's also trying to control it so much more than Whitney Frost is. He's trying to keep it inside himself the whole way through this episode uh, since coming back from the fissure. Um, so the fact that he's trying to keep it suppressed the whole time is probably what's caused the fractures to be as extensive as they are. Um, he, it, it seems to have just be bursting out of him the whole way through this episode. We had, we had talked about the, um, the movement of it underneath his skin when he first got uh, infected again by the zero matter in the last yeah, episode. Absolutely. Uh, now it's being, it's moving the whole way around him. He seems in pain trying to keep it inside. But one of the more, in, one of the other interesting moments in that section between himself and, uh, and Peggy, which I have for one of my points is the fact that he says to Peggy, um, Everything that he did was under his own volition. That the that the zero matter was not controlling him. He was control. He was totally in control of his own um, choices throughout. Is he saying that to Peggy because he wants her to leave him behind, or is he saying it to Peggy because he wants her to forget about him? He and it is the truth that he was the one that pulled the gun on her uh, by his own choice, um, so that he could get he could work with Whitney. Uh, to stay alive and that he doesn't want to be with Peggy anymore. Is that, is that what he's saying to her or, um, is he just trying to push her away so that she'll leave him behind and not be killed within this war between Whitney Frost and Jason Wilkes? Yeah, no, that was really intriguing. I mean, I actually believe him when he says that it was his own choices and he acted out of his own volition. Um, I really think that he means that. I, I think, um, you know, in the back of the van where he pulls the gun on both um, Peggy and Sousa, he, he's kind of saying, really, he's been persuaded by Whitney Frost that this will help save him. It will sort out his infection, if you will, um, with the zero matter and that it will either return him to normal or it will stop this uncertainty, not knowing whether he's going to be solid or or um, not solid, you know, and this really, um, I I can under I could understand that I could believe that that would push him to those decisions. So it makes sense, uh, uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see um, really what this zero matter um, is and does because I mean this is one of the other 
big things that hasn't been explained yet in the whole of this season mm-hmm. is what is zero matter? Is this an organism? Is it a living organism? Is it conscious? Yeah. Is it not conscious? They keep talking about voices. They keep talking about uh, it speaking to them. So there's a consciousness there, but what is it? Yeah, And absolutely. so this will is something that has to be explained in the last episode, really. You need to know then, is it the dark matter or the zero matter, I should say, telling Wilkes these different things to to do these different things? Um, to follow Whitney, or is it him? And I think we really—that's the big unknown still of this season—is really what is zero matter? What role does it play within um, this whole season? Is it conscious? Is it not conscious? Is it um, extra dimensional? Is it a different realm? Mm-hmm. Does it maybe, as we've discussed, connect with the Agents of Shield? What place does this have in the wider? mcu or mcu tv that kind of element you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities here between the, the black goo from the obelisk and from agents of shield so all this is still to come and yeah. there's quite a lot of stuff to to really explain mm-hmm. um, in one episode yeah. yeah yeah it's really intriguing isn't it that uh that i'm hoping that we do get that explanation i'm hoping this isn't one of those situations where everything is leading towards dr strange and that's where the explanation is going to be for zero matter yeah i, um, I hope not too to be honest yeah yeah so hopefully we'll get that explanation in episode 10 next week so derek what's your next point I'm actually already on my final point. Mm. My final point for the episode is uh, is Samberly. I loved him in this episode. I thought he's really, really <laughs> good fun. We don't have Jarvis being the comic relief. In fact, we have one of his most serious moments yet with Peggy in this episode, and also his moment with Anna, which is very serious as well. So Samberly is left to hold the comedy uh, gold, uh, gold throughout this episode. And there were some great moments with him. Uh, his moments where he's being introduced to Vernon Masters, or, or introduces himself to Vernon Masters as, Hi, I'm Dr. Samberly. Uh, I'm 110% right behind you. I'll do anything <laughs> yeah. you want me to. Um, whatever you need, I'm right on your side, was hilarious. And then explaining uh, the other side of that when he explains it to Rose uh, in the office <laughs> yeah. and said that uh, says that he just stood up to Vernon Masters and told him um, told him exactly what he wa- what he was going to do for him, um, trying to play again with Rose and trying to get Rose on his side. She's not having days. any of it. Not at, at all. all. Not at all. Love it. You stick by your guns, Rose. Yeah, <laughs> and he he has the knack of cheesing off absolutely everyone. I mean, I think is it uh, Sousa says, "I'm going to kill you." Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when we get back, you know he. Vernon Masters immediately is like, oh, please stop. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, Thompson from the previous episode was, you know, did you hire this guy? You know, he has a knack of not um, introducing himself well to other characters. And yet Peggy is absolutely fine with him and really treats him the way he feels that he wants to be he, treated. He does kind of ruin the moment with Peggy when she gives him a bit of respect and says, um, I, I trust in your abilities completely. And he goes, oh, well, thank you very much. It's very nice to hear that uh, at, at any time. And everybody's looking at him going, will you just fix the thing? Will you just fix the bomb and or fix the gamma cannon uh, right now rather than just taking a compliment and having a conversation? We're not here for conversation, basically. So, yeah, really enjoyed him in this episode. And I've enjoyed him most of the season, actually. It was a really good addition to the cast for uh, for season two of Agent Carter. Yeah, absolutely. I love the two-minute radio jammer as well. Or is it a three-minute radio jammer where, <laughs> you know, he's like, well, I can do it in two minutes, he says to Sousa. And then um, 
out in the field where he's trying to get it to work and it's not working. He said, well, I only had this. I only had two minutes in order to make it. And it's like you see the absolute exasperation on Sousa's face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a nice little play. You know, he wants to be friends with everyone and wants the respect from everyone. And he's probably willing to say anything that he can to get that, but it does always at least pay off. Absolutely, yeah. And he is able to jam the signal to stop uh, Thompson from blowing up the tip or the waste management disposal Mm -hmm. uh, site to Kingdom Come. Until he has a gun pointed in his face, of course. Yeah, Uh, when he just flicks the switch, it's like absolute cowardice comes in, Uh as probably we all would be, um, and flick and it's back off uh-huh. working again. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, do you have your final point for this episode? Of I do. It's a it's a small point, but it's the the hot wire. It was back to the gadgets for me. Um, mm-hmm. This is um, the hot wire taken from Peggy Carter's belt in in the back of the truck to cut through the the chain and the lock that's holding the door together. I just thought it was really good. Like um, we haven't really seen too many since maybe some of the first few episodes mm. of these gadgets. We had the great um, magnet scene in the the cell. Uh, where Dottie was incarcerated as she uses the magnets to undo the the lock of the cell door. And here again, we have this great little gadget, the hot wire, to cut through solid metal so that they can break through the chain and the lock of the back of the truck. Yeah. Um, and that to me was very cool. I just, I just loved it. It was one of those nice little moments. Again, just to remind you that you're in this espionage world of, of spies and danger and, and gadgets. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. It felt like something out of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it felt like something out of James Bond, which is what it's all based, all based upon, you know. So, uh, nice, nice little moment. Also led to a, a great fight sequence with, uh, with Peggy and, uh, and two of the drivers of Manfredi's truck, uh, which I really Absolutely. enjoyed. That was the good, good little fight sequence as, uh, as Peggy pretends to be the uh, woman who fainted in the sun, uh, and takes out, uh, two of his men. Uh, yeah. great oh, fun. Oh, crap, indeed. <laughs> great fun. I just have one little note for this episode, which was Anna and Jarvis's discussion. Uh, I love how Anna is telling Jarvis that he must go back, must be there as the banner man, really, for uh, for Peggy Carter. Um, she really is totally supportive of the relationship between Jarvis and Peggy, uh, specifically calling out the fact that without you there, she doesn't have anybody on her side specifically. So there's other people that she works with and other people that she has uh, relationships with, but without Jarvis there, she has nobody else on her side. And I love how supportive Anna is when she comes back from the brink of death, really, call, as, we, as we've said, caused by Jarvis. Um, I like that she's still hugely supportive of their relationship and of the adventures that Jarvis goes on. It's a really nice moment. Yeah, absolutely. I just have one final note, and that really is Vernon's look as Jack betrays him, really, mm-hmm. and just the fact that um, that you have the great line where he's got the gun pointed at Vernon, and Jack just puts it away, and he goes, I'll leave that to you, uh, to Whitney Frost. Um, your methods, I believe, are cleaner. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see her start to um, sort of get the the grip around his throat, and you see the zero matter. So she's still got that ability, because I was wondering after uh, what happened in the desert whether 
she still had those abilities, mm. given that the the zero matter didn't speak to her but spoke to Wilkes. The fact that we hadn't really seen her use those abilities up till now, mm. um, and that she was trying to extract the zero matter from from Wilkes by physical means rather than by simply trying to sort of maybe touch him and draw it out that way. Yeah. So it was that was an interesting moment to see that she still got those powers, and um, but she is probably st- more fragile than she was previously. There is something about Wilkes here as well that is very different whether he's more powerful um, or whether he is the one now that's been chosen as opposed to her by the zero matter so um, but yeah I loved how Vernon responded and again trying to weasel his way out of it even whilst the the black veins are crawling across his face so that was a great little scene yeah absolutely Uh, speaking of Vernon I also thought the uh, the punch that Peggy delivers to Vernon was a very satisfactory punch Uh, if she never gets to see Vernon at least she can say that she took him to the floor and uh, and hit him quite a few times uh, after all that he's done to her and uh, against her throughout this season so really good but I love that just before that right hook he goes you really are a resilient but and it's like bang of the punch rather than uh-huh. obviously how he wanted to finish that uh, that sentence off yeah absolutely so with that i think we're done with our notes and our uh, top five points of this episode john do you defend this episode of agent carter i do um i do defend this episode of agent carter um I give this three and a half hot wires out of five. I thought it was a really good, um, solid episode. Um, I think it's certainly moving things towards the, the final episode, um, episode 10. And uh, the reason why I'm giving it 3.5 is mainly because even though I like this episode, I'm just wondering, have they left enough room for everything to be kind of squared off so Mm. to speak in terms of the zero matter in terms of whether um you know Wilkes survives and whether um there's any kind of further love interest um of um with Sousa um all these things are still fairly outstanding and and there's still the story to get through as well and that's the only reason I think I think maybe that um Whilst I love this episode still, I think maybe they could have progressed some of those elements. You know, that definitely Sousa was given a flat outright no or a maybe. But I love the the dance number. That certainly was a great special moment. It felt nostalgic to me and to previous um, episodes of, of things like Buffy or Angel. I love the Jack Thompson sort of, yeah, the the the, the betrayal the secrecy, him really stepping up to try and control things and drive things. Uh, Peggy and and Jarvis's uh, conversation in the desert was really poignant, really uh, necessary for their characters. Um, And obviously then seeing uh, Angie back in the dance number and and Wilkes, I mean, that's the big unknown now. This is the big intrigue into the final episode. I mean, in my notes says... Wilkes explodes, but has he? Is he able to reform? Does he turn into something completely different? Um, is he some kind of reincarnation of something maybe that we're seeing in, um, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the moment? Maybe Hive or something? I don't know. Mm. Um, some, uh, really good stuff in here. That's why I give it 3.5 uh, hot wires out of 5. Right. Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode, but similar to yourself, I am, um, I'm kind of really looking forward to episode 10, uh, of the, sh- of the show. And this was a really good setup episode. The 
dance sequence was absolutely standout for me. Really enjoyed it as as the opening of the episode. But a lot of the episode was set up for the next episode. I did really enjoy the conversation between uh, Peggy and Jarvis in the desert, uh, and I also loved the discussion between Peggy and Jack Thompson towards the end of the episode, where she's effectively saying, uh, we're going to kill Wilkes, we're going to kill Vernon Masters. Shouldn't Vernon Masters be brought to justice, or is that no longer what we're here for? Um, great moments between these characters, and excellent stuff with, with Jack Thompson, because all the way through the episode, not knowing whether you could trust what he's saying or what he's doing, or whether he's all just self-serving, uh, was really interesting, even though at the end he does save the day, I suppose, or is trying to save the day at the end. We still don't know whose side he's really on. We know he's not on Peggy's side. We know he's not on uh, Daniel Caesar's side. But is that the right thing or not? Uh, we'll find out next week, I guess, uh, in episode 10 of Agent Carter. Yeah, I think that just about wraps our discussion and our five main points for this episode of Agent Carter, A Little Song and Dance. Um, we will be uh, back with Defenders TV podcast where we will be talking about Daredevil episode four mm-hmm. um episode 57 of the podcast and remember you can find us on any good podcast catcher just search defenders tv podcast such as on player fm podcast addict or beyond pod or if you are itunes you can go to defenders tv podcast.com forward slash itunes and you can subscribe to us there uh, and leave a review for all things agent carter and daredevil at this moment in time we have one episode left of agent carter to go uh, and then after that we'll just be concentrating then on daredevil for the for the remainder of the 13 episodes of season two of daredevil yeah so if you want to get in any thoughts about agent carter so far this season what you'd like to see in in season three of agent carter if there is one of course uh, you can get those thoughts into us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or come and join us over on our group and facebook really easy to find just go to facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast love to have you join us there for all of our discussions about the Marvel Universe. Uh, really enjoying Agent Carter so far and really looking forward to the big wrap-up finale as we get into episode 10 of the season next week. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, we'll be back here again next week. Bye. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth Movie Show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.